it and just kind of scroll through, you'll remember that after the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches on, on prayer with the famous Lord's Prayer. He talks about not judging. He also talks about how he's come to fulfill the law and how he expands the law. You've heard it said. You've heard it said that you should not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry, you're breaking that commandment. And you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust, you're breaking that commandment. And he, he expanded the kingdom principles to a deeper understanding. And the people loved it. They soaked it up. They thought, this man has authority. This man has something that we are missing. And the people began to follow. But the question that arises with any good teaching, with any good idea is, how do I go about achieving the goals that have been set out before me? How do I go about achieving what has been asked of me? And you, you hear this kind of spattered throughout the Gospels, throughout all the Bible, and I'm sure that each of us have asked ourselves this. It's one of my favorite illustrations to talk about, to just think, when you show up to a class, when you show up to a class in college especially, but maybe even in high school, your number one question is, what do I have to do, depending on your goals, to either pass or get an A? What do I have to do to pass this class. And oftentimes in Christianity, we have that same, that same desire. We, we find ourselves asking, what must I do? What God, what do you want me to do? And these, these goals, these kingdom living that Jesus has laid out, he must, at the end of giving this, tell us how to go about achieving what has been laid out. And that is where we're going to spend our time today, looking at the end of this sermon, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. After this has happened, Jesus begins to describe the keys for kingdom living. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. This is where we'll spend most of our time today. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 7. Jesus preaching on the side of that mountain says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is a familiar passage. A lot of us, I'm sure, recognize this, ask. Seek, knock, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. 
And I think a lot of times we look at this and go to a very easy application of this and saying it's again teaching us how to how to pray. But I want to point dig a little deeper in this because I think that while it does instruct us how to talk to God, instructs us, tells us what God wants to give us, I think that there are deeper understandings, those keys that are given to how we can live in the kingdom of God. So back to verse 7. Ask, seek, and knock. As I'm sure you've heard and how I know that us preachers, we love to stand up and let you know what the Greek really says there. Um, the, the verb, the tenses that are used there that get lost in the translation have a continuous action. Have a continuous action in the asking. It's not just ask once and be done. It is keep on asking. It's not seek once. It's keep on seeking. It's not knock once. It's keep on knocking. The continual nature of this lifestyle that God is describing to us is about this venturing out with God. It's about going with God in a persistent fashion. It is something that must be continual in our lives. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The kingdom of God that he's describing, that he's laid out before these these listeners and to us today, the kingdom of God. Well, I want to unpack what a kingdom actually is. Because the kingdom, a kingdom is something that the king gets to decide what his will and power will happen. A kingdom is something where the will and power of the king take place. Think about that for a second. The kingdom, a kingdom, is something where the will and power of the king are present, where the will and power of the king takes place. So to be in the kingdom means that the will and power of the king will be taking place. And if you are involved in that kingdom, then you will be in the will and under the power of the king. And so here's the kingdom that's been described. And we are told then to ask, seek, and knock in this kingdom. And Jesus gives this great example. He follows it up with this great example. Verse 9. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Luke, if we just kind of slip over to Luke, Luke adds a third in this, in this similar teaching found in the Gospel of Luke. He adds a third um, illustration in saying that who, if his son asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. Now, I, so often I find myself, you know, I, I read these things and I don't stop to visualize. The couple months ago when we had the chance to go to Israel, 
the thing I learned the most there was that was just to begin to appreciate and visualize what the Bible has to offer us. And there is these these offerings, this example that's given is a little more, when, when I hear bread, I'm thinking of sandwich bread in a loaf, comes in a bag and I open it up, take it out, and I slap some mayo on it and whatever other goodness I want, maybe peanut butter and jelly, um, I slap it on. That's what I'm thinking of, the kind of loaf of bread. But the the loaves that would have been made back in those days would have been flatter and round. The stones that they would have been giving would have looked very similar to a loaf of bread. The stones that would have been in the area where Jesus was doing this, teaching this, would have looked very similar to a loaf of bread. So it's not just, okay, your son asked for a loaf, you're going to give him a rock. It's, he's bringing to mind that your son has asked for a loaf, but you're going to give him something that looks similar, but yet is not worthy of eating, is unedible. The same is true with the fish. Um, there's, there was a fish that looked, very eel-like. And so it could have been that you were going to, instead of giving a fish, you were going to give something that looked like a snake that was a fish, but yet was unedible because of they couldn't eat the eel. And so, again, it's something that is similar, is kind of what has been asked for, but yet is not what is important, is not useful. The same is true with the egg and the scorpion. There's a scorpion over in the Israel that's kind of pale in color. And when it is resting and folded up and on itself, its pinchers are in and its tail is tucked up over itself, it would have the appearance very similar to that of an egg. And so what Jesus is describing here is not just giving ridiculous things that when, when your son asks for them, it's not just giving something that's ridiculous, it's giving something that looks similar, that might at first glance seem like the real thing, but yet be unedible, be poisonous, be harmful to the person. And it's here where we really start to get into the keys to this kingdom living. Because what Jesus has described here is a way of living. It's a way of interacting. It is a guideline for relationships. I don't know if you caught at the very end of this. Some of the newer translations of the Bible, if you, if you have a newer translation, break off the last sentence of the text that we read this morning. But you probably recognize it as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Something that we know and is in our minds and that we, we love to talk about because it's, it's really the gospel in a nutshell. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. But it comes out of this description of a father knowing how to give his son what is being asked for as opposed to something that stands out. The, the golden rule one, one commentary I was reading referred 
to the golden rule, this passage as the Everest of biblical ethics. The Everest of biblical ethics. This is the pinnacle, the the mantra of Christianity. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This is how you treat people. This is how you do it. You do unto others as you would have them do to you. And so when we, when we combine these things, hopefully you begin to see with me that there is more. There is more to this asking, seeking, and knocking. There is more to what's happening here, this continual presence, living in the pres- presence of God. There is more to it than just the talking with God. It is about relationships that we have with others. One of the classes that I recently took and for my master's program, was an ethics class. And the professor, Dr. Che, um, presented on this text and brought something out that really helped deepen my understanding of this. And and I'm going to do my best to describe that to you this morning, to share with you the, the ethics the, the principle that is buried, is present in this text. We have a father and we have a son. And the father knows to give something good to his son. They will call that, it's called the object of desire. The son desires a bread or a fish or an egg, something to eat. And the father knows that this object of desire needs to be given to his son because that's what happens. The opposite could also be true. If the father kept the object of desire, the the fish, the egg, or the bread for himself, that would describe kind of the opposite. So let let me try and explain that again. Let me make that a little clearer. The object of desire moving towards someone else, God is describing as being the the kingdom way of life. The father knows to give his son the bread when he asks for bread and not give a stone. The father knows to give a fish when his son asks for the fish. The opposite of that would be to live not in the kingdom model to live not in the way of the kingdom that God is describing. It would be to take for yourself what is desired. When the son asks for a bread, the father gives him a stone so that he could have the bread. The father gives the, the unedible fish to his son so that he could keep the fish. This, this pattern of dealing with people, this pattern of interaction is the ethics that Jesus is teaching that are the kingdom, that that are the ways of discipleship. It is saying that when we deal with people in our relationships, when we deal with others to live in that kingdom, to be in the will and under the power of Jesus, means that what we desire, we will give away to others. And what is not desired will be taken upon ourselves. 
One great example of this is found in Matthew, just a few couple chapters before that, when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted. Again, we have some of the same elements present. Jesus, when he is taken out into the wilderness and has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter shows up. His adversary shows up. And in verse 3 it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now think about this. The stones, Jesus, after fasting for 40 days, may, in his human frailty, may have been on the verge of hallucinations. Um, Just recently, two months ago, um, I did something that I'd never done before. I fasted. Um, Up until that point, I didn't think I could go 10 hours without eating. But a friend of mine challenged me to fast for three days. Um, And I was able to do it. And I don't have any idea how that happened because I've tried to kind of say, oh, I'll skip supper, it'll be good for me, and I can't. I want to eat. But somehow I made it through three days. But let me tell you, at the end of those three days, I was ready for some food. <laughs> I was ready for some food. I happened to be at Liz's house that night. She remembers. Um, and it was, it was just kind of, there were just little things around, and I just kept staring longingly at them, wanting to eat whatever it was, the plastic fruit that she has in her house. I don't know. She may not have that. But whatever it was, I was just, I was like, okay, I'll take some of that. Um, I was ready to eat. Jesus, in, in after fasting for 40 days, is tempted to turn stones that probably in his weakened state looked like bread. It may have been that he was even thinking, man alive, that rock really looks like a good piece of bread. It could have been something that was already in his mind thinking, looking around and just seeing things as, man, that's bread. It looks so much like bread, and I would love a piece of bread. And the devil shows up and says, you can make that bread. You're God. I mean, come on. You can make that bread. But yet Jesus takes upon himself the object of aversion, the thing that he does not want. He says, I will continue to suffer in hunger so that someone else can have the bread of life. I will take on what is going to cause me pain right now, so that someone else can have the thing they desire and they need. And this is the ethics of what Jesus is teaching right here. You see this, that we, when we are living in a kingdom model, will keep the needs of others first before us, and we will say, I will take on the object that will cause pain and suffering, whatever it might be, be it hunger, be it disrespect. I know we're not in the Christmas season anymore, but quickly go with me to the story of Mary and Joseph in your mind. 
We spent time there this Christmas season looking at that story and remember Joseph, an upstanding citizen, an upstanding man, was disgraced when his fiance became pregnant. The disgrace that was on him could have allowed him to say, I want my reputation back. I want my what is mine back. And I will let Mary take the loss and be disreputable and be disparaged and laughed at and ridiculed. But Joseph, because he was living in the kingdom model, took on himself saying, I will take the disrespect. I will take the reputation loss. I will take on the things that will hurt me. I will take that on so that I can give to my wife what she deserves. This kingdom model of how we treat each other is shown in this text where Jesus is laying out for his disciples how we go about living in the kingdom of God. Another aspect that comes up from this is as Christians, are we sometimes, do we look like something that is good, that is desirable, but yet really is harmful? Are we authentic in what we are? Because what, what you have here in this, in this text, in this passage is saying, even evil, evil yeah, blah, blah. Let me try that again. Even evil, say that five times really fast. Even evil people know how to give these gifts that are good. Just imagine how much more God, who is not evil, knows how to give good gifts and wants to give these gifts. Wants to give these things to us and is willing to take on the the pain and suffering that comes from these things. You see, what is being described here in this relationship that's happening, um, you could almost refer to as an adversarial relationship. For you younger people who maybe don't understand adversarial relationship, that'd be the people you don't like very much. Okay? You're, You're not best friends. How do you interact with them? And Jesus is teaching us that in that relationship, in an adversarial relationship, in a relationship where there is one thing that is desired and only one thing available, that we must give it away and take on the undesired outcome of that. But here is the cool part about this, is that when the victory goes to someone else, The loss doesn't have to be taken by us. Forgiveness takes the loss. Forgiveness that is in Christ, the forgiveness that he has given, that is what will take the loss in this relationship. And Jesus on that mountain, in the wilderness, when he was being tempted, stood and resisted the devil three times. A year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go to Crater Lake. Um, it was it was actually right before I came down um, came down 
to start working here at this church. And I had about three weeks off, and something that pastors don't get to do very often is what a lot of you guys get to do is say, you know what, this weekend's a good weekend to play hooky and go someplace. And so I had three weekends where I could kind of um, do what I wanted. So my wife and I decided we're going to do a weekend getaway. And so we went up to Crater Lake, and it was set late, uh, early September. Um, it was a gorgeous day. Crater Lake is just amazing, the water up there. But on the ridge up there, Crater Lake sits, the ridge around the lake, is like one of the highest points in that area. And the trees were interesting because a lot of these trees, the trunk grows up, and there's four limbs that stick out this way about this far, and the rest of them stick out 10 feet this other way because the wind will come whipping through there and they're either ripped off or whatever, but you can tell the prevailing wind because the tree is standing with its branches going one direction and they're not on the other side. It's not the big, round, fluffy tree. You also see trees a lot of times that are laying on the ground. (coughs) Which tree knows what it's like to stand against the winds of strife? Is it the one laying on the ground or the one that's standing firm? The tree that stands firm knows the worst that can come its way. The same is true with Jesus in this temptation. He stood strong in temptation. He stood strong knowing what it was. It is because he was able to stand in that temptation that he's able to say in Hebrews that we have a high priest who has experienced everything that we have, but has experienced it more. And in this adversarial relationship that we have at times, it is not until we're in that relationship where our true character is revealed. It is when we are willing to let others have and take on to ourselves the loss is when we are willing to put others first. And it is in this context that Jesus gives that famous teaching, do unto others as you would have them do to you. What Jesus is teaching in this passage in this passage is how we can, through our passionate, persistent pursuing of God, through venturing out with him, through living connected with him in this kingdom where his will and power are done, where his will is accomplished because of his power. It is when we live in that way that we can do unto others as we would want them to do to us. The keys to kingdom living are that we are willing to give. And this only comes after we've asked, we've seeked, and we knocked. I want to also take a moment to talk about verse 12, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This teaching was not new to Jesus. This was not a new statement that Jesus was making. Um, This statement could be found in all sorts of religions, even today. It's found in almost every religion, some idea of doing to others. There's even Jewish tradition that says there were some rabbis that taught 
this hundreds of years before Jesus. They would usually state it, however, in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Now, often I think that we miss the subtlety because that's the same teaching. It's the same idea, but there is a big, huge difference versus the negative don't do and the positive do unto others. I can follow the command don't do to others as you would want them not to do to you by locking myself in a room with a couch and sports center. If I have that, I can achieve the negative golden rule, don't do to others as you would have them not do to you. That's all I need to achieve that. But to live in the positive of the golden rule, to live in the positive of the kingdom of God, to live in that way where we are doing takes something much more because it requires us to be in relationship, to be out there, to be active. And if you want to know what I think is the biggest stumbling block for people in our church today, it is when we are not doing anything. When we and get our kids, I've recently been talking with people and have, have been seeing this to be very true. If we want to deal with the exodus from our church of our young people, the biggest way to do that is going to be to show them that church is not a place where we come and don't do. Church is a place where we come and do unto others. Church is a place where things happen. Church is a place where we are involved. The kingdom of God is a place where we do to others, where we give and we take the loss, but we know that that loss has been covered in the forgiveness of Jesus. Keys for kingdom living. Yes, this text does present the concept of talking with God, of seeking, of of God saying what he wants to give to us. But it's so much more than that. In this short passage, we find the ethics. We find the power, the description. When we are asking continually, when we are seeking continually, In Acts, in one of the sermons in Acts, I believe it's chapter 17, it describes the, it's described that we should be seeking for God. But yet what I love is that it comes and says, even when we seek for God, He is not far away. I love playing hide and seek with little kids, little, little kids. Um, because it doesn't take much effort. <laughs> you just have to get up and almost just look behind whatever, and they're usually giggling the whole time anyway. So you have to try really hard and be really deaf not to find them to really be confused. And I think of that as what it is to seek God. 
It's not that he is hard to find. He has not hidden himself away somewhere we can't find him. God is there, and when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock, he will be there. And when we are passionately pursuing God, when we are passionately venturing out with God, we will have the keys to live in this kingdom. And when we're in that kingdom, we can stand knowing that we are in the will of God, that the power of God is there with us. That's my challenge for us today, is to passionately pursue God, to be asking, seeking, knocking, to be looking at what we can do, how we can live in this kingdom of God. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you did not just leave us without the instructions on how to live in this amazing kingdom that you have described. But Lord, we know it's by your power that we have any hope of living in that kingdom. So God, I pray that we will be a church. First, we will be a people that passionately pursue you individually that we will together be a church that ventures out with you as we, as we live the Everest of biblical ethics due unto others. So Lord, thank you that we can look to you for this. And we ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.
stand and sing with us. Father in heaven, 
Indeed, may our praise be unbroken and to you alone. Father, help us to live the kind of kingdom life we can live here today as seekers and doers after you, knowing that there's really not much we can do in and of ourselves and don't need to because you have already paid a price, made the way, and opened the gates wide for us to enter in with you. Help us to live knowing solidly with certainty that we are yours. And may we just leave here today giving you our unbroken praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. And it was a wonderful service. Again, thanks to all our adventurers and 